I am so sick of this whole Frank Rossi curse thing. Oh, the, you know, the away teams, uh, you're cursed now when Rossi's at your games. No, 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 they went 2-0 this last weekend. Okay, folks, so let's stop with the Rossi curse thing. It's the JB curse, okay? JB is a curse. And if you don't believe me, head coach Nate Millen of Muhlenberg will explain I don't know how to break the news to you, but I, I think that JB was running interference for your scientists uh, tonight. 28-0, he tweets out, basically, the Rossi curse is over. In the second quarter, he did this, knowing that somehow, at least, you know, through the heavens, it was going to get to your team. They would, they would, you know, get some thought of it, and, and then boom, this thing turns into a horse race. There's your answer. That's what happened in this game. JB tweeted way too early, and I think he was paid off by somebody on the Bears side. You know, I said it once before, and I'm going to say it again. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Um, and we got to know better than that. Uh, tarnishes the degree of Hobart College when you say things like that uh, way too soon. Uh, you can't count your chickens till they're hatched, uh, JB. Uh, have safe travels. But. Um, we're going to keep Frank here uh, coming back to Muhlenberg after tonight. JB is, is no longer welcome. You know, he dropped a, a four-letter word on the podcast uh, on the Friday morning episode. Uh, does Hobart allow such, you know, kind of activity by its alums? Or, or do they, like, cut them off, take back the diploma when that happens? There's certainly uh, high standards when you're a statesman. Um, I, the thing I was really disappointed with, uh, again, with, with his foul language, was now I can't show it to my children. Uh, Matthew and Nicholas, uh, the, the apples of my eye, um, they can't watch the show anymore uh, with unbeknownst to what's going to happen on, on live television. Um, so I just hope that there's no fine from the FCC. Um, but you know, We did get a uh, notice from Facebook today uh, on something that happened during it. I don't know if it was related to that or music or what. I'm going to think it's JB's fault. It's 100% JB. It's 100%. I talked to Zuckerberg and, uh, and look out. You guys, you guys should go on tour. I mean, the best like two-man stand-up comedy routine in Division Three in the whole nation. I mean, oh my gosh. Well, you know, you put it up on the board last time, uh, last Friday, when you kind of surprised me. He's He'll be the future co-host once I'm sent out to pasture. Uh, Coach Milne, just away with words. I mean, that was that was classic. But wait, I mean, best. This, this was an isolated incident last week, though. Don't you remember what happened during the Barry game that uh, you texted me and you basically felt when they were down 16 for uh, Trinity, uh, they were toast and everything else. And after I, that, text, I was a little nervous, you know, it, it, so Barry basically has you to blame for ending up losing that game because you prematurely tweeted. You've done this before. Right? Or, I didn't tweet. I didn't tweet anything. I, I, text I texted it, you. Text I was it. like, yes, I, I was like, oh my God, like Trinity was really on the mat. I mean, the, the it was like 80-yard touchdown, 80-yard touchdown. 
the, the Vikings were on fire in the first half there in, in Georgia, literally because it was so hot. The, I, I couldn't see um, the, from the glare, from the sun. There was no shade. I got the same thing that you had happen to your phone with the whole, um, it's too hot. You know, it was almost about to shut down half the time. It was kind of crazy, but uh, it was an amazing football game. Some amazing football games all over D3, and I think that's what we're supposed to talk about here today, aren't we? Well, I, I do take issue with there's no shade. Now there's plenty of shade. Apparently it's us. Oh, uh, that's yeah. what the D3 Nation yeah. feels like. Uh, so uh, let's let's roll this. Yeah, we, we really are a dark Keep board, the darts uh, coming, folks. Yeah. Uh, hey, it's uh, week five in a review here on our Crunch Time episode of season 16 of In the Huddle. All kidding aside, uh, week five was really a wild one. Maybe the upsets didn't occur, but they were close to happening in several cases. Uh, in, a, in a couple, obviously, you got the, a, a result that didn't necessarily make sense to people. And uh, as a result, we still have a really big log jam in the top 25 going on where teams that are undefeated can't find their way in this far into the season. And that's not normal to the extent that we're seeing it. Uh, see Utica, see yeah. Union for more details and others for that matter. But uh, JB, your 30,000 foot view as somebody that I got to attend a game this uh, last weekend, which is unusual, but uh, glad to see it happen. Uh, and uh, let's see it happen more. Yeah. Give, us, give us that view from week five. Well, I mean, so week five, in my opinion, was one where we had these some some really big conference games and some of the, you know, the biggest and best conferences in D3, right? You know, we had the Liberty League, the CCIW, the SAA, the, the WEAC. Half the undefeated teams we were talking about last week lost. So now we're basically down to about 24. If you include the NESCAC, it's 26. But, but 24 out of 241 pretty easy math it's about 10% of the of the nation is only is only left as an undefeated team there were less upsets and um but once again we've been seeing these underdogs frank um Sawani and teal winning again you know these guys are having historic seasons on on the positive after years and years of, of losing i'm happy for those guys and then there were some fantastic finishes in regions four through six too many for us to cover in in this episode we'd have to do like you know, 50 clips. There were so many close games out in the Midwest. You'll, we'll talk about it a little later on in, in, in um, our crunch, crunch Time review. But just some, some great conference games going on all over the place, and I can't wait to uh, talk about it with you here. Well, you think 50 clips is a big deal? we got 100 clips here. Right here, there's about 100 <laughs> clips, okay? Yeah. What, what's another 50? <laughs> yeah. Well... Let's uh, let's get to this. Uh, and then, we're, uh, by the way, we had some viewer questions as well at the end of the show. So if you submitted one, uh, it's coming on up uh, here on our uh, week five French time show. The halfway mark. This is literally as we record this halfway through the regular season, folks. Uh, 11 week regular season. We're basically at five and a half weeks in right now. There you are. 
And so uh, let's see uh, where this goes. Uh, like we, we kind of pointed out last week, some things were going to be kind of clear. We thought maybe kind of sort of Grove City. Uh, others a little murky right now uh, in conferences. We'll talk a lot more about that on Friday as we uh, begin to posture you for week six. But for now, here's crunch time for week number five of the 2023 Division Three. College football season. <laughs> we started Salve Regina as Merchant Marine visited them. Uh, 11 minutes into the game here, Cesar Gonzalez's two-yard touchdown run giving Merchant Marine a 10-0 lead early in the game, but one play later, it's Marcelino LaBella with his 73-yard pass from Jake Stack for the touchdown, and 10-7 was your score. Uh, the team traded field goals for halftime, 17-14 Merchant Marine was the halftime score. In the third quarter, about a minute into it, Marcelino LaBella, love the name, 35-yard touchdown pass from Jake Stack. It's 21-17, Salve Regina. Five seconds into the fourth quarter, it's Thomas Sia Jr., a four-yard touchdown run. They send that lead to 28-17 to Salve Regina. And then three minutes later, Thomas Sia Jr., a four-yard touchdown run, 35-17. That's the final in favor of the Seahawks. Jake Stack, 19 for 25, 309 yards, three passing touchdowns. The defense of Salve Regina, seven tackles for loss, two interceptions. Cesar Gonzalez for Merchant Marine Academy, 12 rushes, 47 yards, one rushing touchdown. Then a game that confuses the heck out of me right now. It's Mass Dartmouth at Western Connecticut. First quarter, about a minute into the game, a punt block is returned 32 yards by Aiden Figueroa for a touchdown for Westcon, 7-0 is their lead there. Then six minutes later, Zach Soriano, 11-yard touchdown from Keon Jones. It's 14-0 Western Connecticut. We're going to keep going first quarter, three minutes left. Chad Blasky, five-yard touchdown run. It's 21-0 Westcon. We're going to save you the rest of this game at this point because it didn't get any better. 52-21 Westcon. Blasky, 30 rushes, 233 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Dante Villa Santos from Mass Start with 276 total yards, one passing touchdown in the interception. The Mass CAC now is very confusing for me. Westcon may be able to run it. Who knows? We'll see. But uh, that is a result that a lot of people did not expect. And there were some other results across uh, Region 1 that I'm sure people are scratching their heads about, or maybe not. JB will tell you about them. Yeah, well, it started out on Friday night with Husson winning big. Um, yeah, I feel bad for the Dean Bulldogs. They're having a rough season. I'm not sure what's going on over there, but uh, another you know, pretty large loss. And the rest of Region 1 was kind of like that. There were some lopsided scores with a few exceptions here and there, so I'll focus in on those. SUNY Maritime edges Norwich in a new MAC contest 24-21. Westfield State beats Mass Maritime 17-10. Uh, Bridgewater, you know, due to this... Um, 
Mass Dartmouth loss is the lone undefeated team in MassCAC play at 3-0. They had a rough start to their season, 0-2, but have won three straight, and here they are, the Bears at the top of the MassCAC. We'll have to keep an eye on that as the season progresses. Springfield won big, 42-10. You can see over in the right-hand corner, big number 97, Quinn Sweeney. He won the new Mac Defensive Player of the Week for a 10-tackle, I think one forced fumble, and a, maybe a sack and a half or, or tackle for loss performance for the Pride. So congratulations to Quinn. Um, Nichols, Trinity, Wesleyan all you know, win pretty big. Middlebury knocks Bowden off the uh, perch of one of the undefeated teams in the, in the NESCAC at home. Uh, Tufts takes care of Williams. Coast Guard wins big over MIT. University of New England, go Nor'easters, 31-14 against um, you know, Castleton from Vermont. And then we got Colby Bates in the, in the nightcap and the, the Mules get a, a little lead there in the CBB uh, trophy race there. And uh, that was region one for week five. Well, let's go to region two. We have a lot more games to uh, give you highlights from uh, in region two. First, Franklin and Marshall at Dickinson. First quarter, 138 left. Gary Lewis, nine yard touchdown pass from Ty Trumba makes it seven to three, Franklin and Marshall. Second quarter, 343 left. Alex Merrifield gets the uh, punt uh, return in the end zone for the touchdown. That makes the score 10 to 7 Dickinson. Halftime score 10 apiece. Third quarter, 335 left. Gary Lewis, nine yard touchdown pass again from Ty Trumba. Made it 17 to 10 Franklin and Marshall. Dickinson would add a field goal with about 11 minutes left. So 17 13 was the score at that point. Still uh, in favor of Franklin and Marshall. But here for Dickinson at the end of the game, third and 10, and here is a pass interference call that brings the ball to the two yard line. And time running out here, 4.6 seconds left, first and goal from the two yard line. He snaps it, does hand it off, Deontay Bull! He's still up and he's down, timeout! Did they get the timeout? We're gonna run it here with the clock and you can see uh, you're slowing it down again. I don't think he got there, JB, in time yeah, uh, with that I timeout. Think so I think they didn't deserve this next play that goes like this. Michael with a sneak. No, chipped it out. Deontay Bull, he's in the end zone. He's in the end zone. Red Devils win. Oh, my goodness. They have done it. Well, regardless of what you think of it, the final score is 1917 Dickinson winning. Deontay Ball. 30 yeah. rushes, 155 yards, one rushing touchdown as time expired. Ty Tremba from Franklin and Marshall, 14 for 19, 191 yards, two passing touchdowns. And we'll talk a little bit more about that one a little bit later here in crunch time. Grove City hosting Washington and Jefferson for the end of the gauntlet, essentially for Grove City. 253 left, second quarter. Here's Clayton Parrish with a two-yard touchdown run, 14 to 3. Grove City has the lead. 50 seconds later, though, it's WJ's John Peduzzi, 22 yards from Jacob Pugh, 14 to 10 Grove City's lead at that point. Third quarter, WJ's John Peduzzi again, 29 yards from Pugh, 17 14. WJ now has the lead. A field goal, though, would later tie it for Grove City. Third quarter, 24 seconds left. Peduzzi for the hat trick, 18 yards from Jacob Pugh, 24 17 in favor of WJ. Grove City, Scott Frazier, though, would be heard from 24 yards from Logan Pfeiffer with 12.55 left in the game, 24 apiece. Seven minutes later, it's Frazier again from Pfeiffer, this time from five yards out. And that made things 31-24, Grove City's lead. 
Jacob Pugh later on was trying to lead his team on a big drive here to the 18-yard line they got, but you'll see the fumble forced by Bryce Spolnick and ultimately recovered by Grove City at the 22-yard line. They did have to punt with 11 seconds left, so here's the final play, and Pugh is intercepted, and that would do it. Grove City wins 31-24. It's their best start since 1926. Logan Pfeiffer, 13 for 22, 185 yards, three passing touchdowns. Jacob Pugh, three passing touchdowns that you saw and an interception. What a game there. Waynesburg and Teal. Uh, we're talking about Teal again on the show. That, that never happens twice in a season. Well, here we go. Second quarter, 36 seconds left. Waynesburg's uh, Brandon Tyson, 41-yard pick six. It is 7-3, Waynesburg. Third quarter, 14-12 left. Joseph Fell, a 52-yard touchdown run. 9-7, Teal. Third quarter still, 3-33 left. Zane Pauley, a 63-yard touchdown run, gives Waynesburg back the lead, 14-9. Teal's Joseph Fell, though, gets a 6-yard touchdown run with two minutes left. It's 15-14, Teal. And at the end of the game here, you'll see an attempt here uh, by Waynesburg does not get converted. And that means Teal wins the game, 15-14. Teal's first homecoming win in nine years. Joseph Fell, 263 total yards, two rushing touchdowns. And for Waynesburg, Zane Pauley, one rushing touchdown. We'll continue in Region 2. I'm getting winded here, right? Are we almost done? It's Muhlenberg yeah, at Usias. Right. We'll go back to the uh, Centennial Conference here. And in the first quarter, 324 left, it's James Nye with a 19-yard touchdown pass from Joe Repetti. And boy, he gets smacked in the chest trying to make that catch. But he was going to be fine. You'll see more from him in a moment. Second quarter, 1403 left. Timothy Buda, 69-yard touchdown pass from Joe Repetti. 14-0, Muhlenberg. Staying in the second quarter, Two and a half minutes later, there he is, James Nye, shaking off would-be tacklers for a 70-yard touchdown pass from Joe Petty, 21-0 Mules. We'll go further, second quarter, 6.25 left, Amari Dunn, 30-yard touchdown run. That made it 28-0 in favor of Muhlenberg. Still second quarter, but this thing was just a track meet in the first half. Ryder Zilkowski, a 40-yard touchdown pass from Jalen Bradford, 28-7. So your sign is heard from at this point in the game. Fourth quarter, we'll take you uh, here to Dennis Cameron's 30-yard touchdown pass from Jalen Bradford. Now 28-14, they're creeping closer here to Muhlenberg. And 5-10 left in the fourth quarter, Dawson Friesis gets a one-yard touchdown run, 28-20. So there was a chance here. The scientists would get the ball back with 1-16 left, but Jalen Bradford incomplete, looking for Caden Johnson, down deep on the uh, the field and could not get it there. Muhlenberg hangs on, 28 to 20. First win to three tries for the Mules against your Sinuses Bears. Joe Repetti, 427 total yards, one a night, three passing touchdowns. Jalen Bradford, 21 for 38, 274 yards, two passing touchdowns and an interception. Okay, here we go. Final game of Region 2 with highlights. Salisbury at Christopher Newport. 12 minutes into the game, Trey Hayes for Christopher Newport. A 25-yard touchdown pass from Connor Berry made it 7-0 CNU. Halftime score would be 10-0 for them. Third quarter, 6.33 left. 
A.J. Butler gets a pick six for 53 yards in those six points, plus the extra point made it 10-7. Still seeing use lead, though. Third quarter, 2.49 left, Connor Berry. A four-yard touchdown run for Christopher Newport, 17-7. And then in the fourth quarter, 49 seconds into it, Gunner White. A 65-yard touchdown pass from Matt Dzerski. It's 24-7, Christopher Newport with the lead. Christopher Newport with the win, 24-14. Connor Berry, 177 total yards, one passing, one rushing touchdown, and an interception. Micah Brubaker, 15 rushes, 75 yards, one rushing touchdown, and an interception. JB, take it away. Region 2. Yeah, so Region 2 had a, a lot of interesting um, games going on this past Saturday. The favorites in the Centennial, Landmark, and Empire 8, though, all won pretty big. You can see uh, Hopkins, Susquehanna, and Cortland each putting up 50 points or more in their wins. Ithaca used three turnovers from Hobart, uh, along with a 79-yard uh, uh, Jalen Leonard Osborne touchdown run in the fourth quarter to put it away. The state's in 24-21, sorry, 24-14. Uh, Carnegie Mellon hangs on in a, in a lower scoring game than, than I think we expected, Frank, on, on Saturday night, 19-3 over the Gators. Elsewhere, um, landmark play kicked off officially. Um, there's, uh, there's, there's Katie Boldich, the uh, commissioner there with uh, a couple of the coaches, I think from Moravian and, and from, from Keystone to, to mark this historic day for them. They had engraved football, as you can see, and Moravian got the win, 58-34, but Elsewhere in Region 2, William Patterson uh, beats Kane 21-9. Your Union Dutchman Chargers, whatever we're calling them at this point, 34-0. An amazing defensive output by, by them this season. Uh, they keep winning by shutouts. It's pretty impressive. Utica wins big. I guess uh, F uh, Freddie Freeberg, is that was his name, Frank? <laughs> they, they, they tracked him down. Yeah, they tracked him down and <clears throat> they found the moose tracks. Gettysburg wins a close one over McDaniel, 27-20. And then the rest of the way, you've got Case Western. Um, Rochester having a comeback to beat Buffalo State was a little interesting. Montclair wins big over uh, neighbor TCNJ. Brockport wins the Courage Bowl, 35-18. And St. Vincent gets a win over Geneva on Saturday night. That's Region 2. You want to, you want to talk about the Union offense and Donovan Piccati, uh, you know, it's uh, you know, having a good season. But uh, the defense, yeah. I mean, still only allowing one touchdown, I believe, so far this season. So the Garnet Chargers are doing, they're charging through the Liberty League now. Um, or the Dutchman, if you want. Uh, let me get out of this conundrum and just say, we've got another game to talk about here. Let's go to Region 3. Yeah. And that's going to be the game you attended. I should have you do these highlights, but here we go. Trinity at Ferry. <laughs> First quarter. 4.55 left. It's DeAndre Wilson with a 35-yard touchdown pass from Blake Hembry. It's 14-7 Barry here in this uh, game early on. It's a field goal that would trade off for Trinity. So then Barry comes back with Price Hearing. Uh, five minutes into the second quarter, getting a 53-yard uh, touchdown pass from Hembry. So now it's a 22-10 lead. Again, a trade off of a field goal, 21-yarder. This time for Trinity leads to... With uh, 7.54 left in the second quarter, Brandon Cade getting an 88-yard touchdown run. At this point, it is a 29-13 lead in favor of Barry. A lot of people, <coughs> JB, thought this game might be over at this point. Well, here we go. 4.08 left, second quarter. Cole Monaco, a 5-yard touchdown pass from Tucker Horn. 29-20. to 
in favor of Barry Snell. We'll go to the third quarter, and five minutes left, Ryan Murfield gets a 12-yard touchdown pass from Tucker Horn, 29-27. to 27. They're coming back here, and then eventually 147 left third quarter, Murfield again, 81-yard touchdown pass from Tucker Horn. They take the lead for the first time in a long time in this game, 34-29, 20 leading. Fourth quarter, 40 seconds into it, Barry would be heard from Amari Smith, a 58-yard touchdown pass from Blake Hembry. They take back the lead, 37-34, 9.59 left in the fourth quarter. Tyler Huddle, a 52-yard field goal. He'll get a different angle here, too, to see how much he made it by, and he actually got it in by about six or seven yards, I think, 37 apiece. Fourth quarter, 641 left, Legend Grigsby. What a uh, speedster and uh, agility galore. 25-yard touchdown pass from Tucker Horn, 44-37 in favor of Trinity. Barry would have a chance. Well, you have a great view of it uh, from the end zone cam you had here of the hold in the end zone that leads to the safety. 46-37, Trinity leading. 46-37, Trinity wins. The teams combined for 1,041 total yards. They've, uh, both quarterbacks have four passing touchdowns and over 300 yards. The defensive Barry, 11 tackles for loss. What a game. More about that in a little bit. We'll I'll let you go on about uh, that game and others for sure. Dart Payne at Harden-Simmons. This was an interesting game. Second quarter, 14 seconds into it, Gotti Payat gets a 57-yard touchdown pass from A.J. Hawkins, 14-0. Harden-Simmons leads, but Howard Payne would be heard from just before halftime. Jordan Carroll, a 10-yard touchdown pass from Landon McKinney, makes it 17-14. Howard Payne with the lead. Third quarter, midway through, Noah Garcia for Harden-Simmons gets the lead back for his team. A 19-yard touchdown run, 21-17. A minute later, though, Howard Payne responds. Gus Charles, 70-yard touchdown pass from Landon McKinney, makes it 24-21, Howard Payne. But very quickly here, a kickoff return for a touchdown. K.J. Peoples gets his team the lead back, 28-24, in favor of Harden-Simmons. They would be uh, the next to score again here with two minutes left third quarter. Colton Marshall, an eight-yard touchdown run, 34-24. A field goal later, though, would make it a one-possession game. Fourth quarter, 8-13 left. It's Javian Miles, a 36-yard touchdown run, 34-33. The two-point conversion, though, is no good. We'll go later into the game, though. Harden-Simmons, 2-14 left. Colton Marshall, one-yard touchdown run. 40-33, Harden-Simmons with the lead as they couldn't convert their extra point. We'll go to the end here. Landon McKinney intercepted by Demarcus Coleman. That would do it. Harden-Simmons holds on in a really exciting game. 40-33, Landon McKinney 25 for 50, 360 yards, three passing touchdowns and an interception. Colton Marshall for Harden-Simmons, three rushing touchdowns. Let's go to Solani at Hendricks. You mentioned this game earlier. Let's see some of the highlights from it. Eight minutes left, second quarter. Hendricks is Peyton Wingfield. is a 13-yard touchdown pass from Jacob Buniff. It's a 13-7 Hendricks lead. Halftime, though, will be 13-10. Third quarter, 349 left. John Luke Lassiter. It's a seven-yard touchdown pass from Jaden Bragg. 17-13. It's Solani's lead. Fourth quarter, nine minutes left. Jack Satterfield gets a 46-yard field goal, 20-13, Solani's lead. Hendricks with 155 left has the touchdown. It's Kanan Utley 
getting a nine yard touchdown pass from Jacob Buniff. 20 to 19, but the extra point is blocked. And so one last chance with 13 seconds left for Hendricks here. And Jacob Buniff's pass is incomplete. And that would do it. So Lonnie, 20 to 19, moving to three and one of the season, two and oh in the SAA. Hey, Trinity, it ain't over yet because there's that team still to go through. And for Sewanee, uh, one fumble recovery for touchdown, a blocked field goal, two uh, PATs blocked. I mean, what a day for the special teams, especially. Uh, Jacob Unif, 25 for 44, 325 yards, three passing touchdowns, and the best start for Sewanee since 2001. Finally, in Region 3, Bridgewater at Hampton, Sydney. 6.30, first quarter. Kennedy Fontelroy gets a 65-yard touchdown run to make it 14 apiece. For 12 left first quarter, Malik Frost, 12-yard touchdown run. Hampton Sydney takes the lead 21 to 14. We'll go to the third quarter, 2.45 left. Austin Fernandez gets a 12-yard touchdown run from Andrew Puccinelli to make it 31-24 Hampton Sydney. Third quarter, 49 seconds left. Though Bridgewater response is Montez Green gets a 48-yard 48 48-yard touchdown pass from Malcolm Anderson to tie the game at 31 apiece. Back and forth we go. Fourth quarter, 13-39 left. Hampton Sydney's Jamadia Whitby gets a 33-yard touchdown pass from Andrew Puccinelli to make it 38-31 Hampton Sydney. We'll go to the end of the game though. Bridgewater's Kennedy Fontelroy, a one-yard touchdown run that takes them within one point. They decide to go for two. And Bridgewater's is successful as Malcolm Anderson finds the end zone on his rush attempt. Here's the last chance for Hampton Sydney. Andrew Puccinelli is sacked. That pretty much does it for the game. And Bridgewater wins. In, uh, not a stunner necessarily, but just in a, a very, very yeah. tough way uh, back and forth. As Fontelroy gets 32 rushes, 246 yards, four rushing touchdowns. Puccinelli. Uh, 24 for 37 day, 333 yards, four passing touchdowns. I should say it was 39-38 final for those uh, that didn't read the screen. JB, Region 3, you got to see some of it for yourself and hear about a lot of it through uh, people back and forth on social media, like the Harden-Simmons game. That was a heart stopper of sorts. And uh, those other two games that we just mentioned as well, those were some great games in Region 3. Yeah, there was a lot of great um, action, a lot of high-powered offenses, lots of points. Um, quickly, we'll just run through you know, Randolph-Macon, Bellhaven, Southern Virginia, McMurray, all winning pretty big. Shenandoah as well, 38-3 um, uh, over Ferrum. Uh, Brevard had a, a little bit of a tougher time um, you know, beating North Carolina neighbors Greensboro, 34-24, uh, to and Huntington wins big over Methodist. That's setting up a big game this weekend, Frank, that we'll talk about on Friday between Huntington and Belhaven, maybe the de facto USA South Championship. We shall see. Uh, Rhodes win 31-7 over Southwestern. Washington Lee takes Averett out of the undefeated column with a 25-20 win. And then this score sort of surprised a lot of folks, Frank. Millsaps beating Birmingham Southern for the first time, 14-8. Um, tough, tough season so far uh, for the Panthers, but congratulations to the, to the majors on what's a big win for their program. Texas Lutheran comes up a field goal short uh, against Sol Ross State on their uh, goodbye to D3 tour, I guess. So congratulations to those guys. Good luck uh, in, in future endeavors. And then ETBU wins 35-7 to over Austin and um, it closes out a great slate of, uh, in Region 3. 
I mean, Frank, I had the best time at, at Barry. Uh, the people there could not have been nicer. Um, beautiful facility. I guess it's the largest campus in the world with like about 27,000 uh, acres. It's like a, I mean, it almost looked like a, a plantation horse farm. I mean, just beautiful scenery um, and just a big crowd, a lot of excitement. And, and Trinity was struggling early on with some of these long explosive plays, but their defense pulled it together, um, kept Barry out of the end zone really just uh, one time in the, uh, in the second half, and, and what a close call. I think we'll have a little more to talk about that one later on in the MVP section, but uh, a great weekend for Region 3. Let's take it to Region 4. Two pages left for me here, basically, of notes to read to you folks. So uh, here we go. As uh, the game I attended on Saturday was North Central at Wheaton. First quarter, 44 seconds into the game, Joe Sacco with a 73-yard touchdown run, 7-0. And you begin to say to yourself, you know, maybe they do have some running backs still, despite Ethan Greenfield graduating. And they certainly do. First quarter will stay in at 927 left though. Ben Bonga responds with a 14-yard touchdown pass from Ben Thorson. Make it seven apiece here in the game. But then Joe Sacco says, yo, I, I want that seven-point lead back here. And he gets a 43-yard touchdown run. 14-7 North Central leads. We'll continue. 204 left first quarter. Luke Lanham. He is just fast. 78-yard touchdown run. 21-7. That's North Central's lead at that point. We'll move to the second quarter now, and here's another speedster, Charles Coleman, getting a 65-yard touchdown pass from Luke Lanin, 28-7. One of the few passes needed in this game for Luke Lanin, and that was a good one. Thir uh, in the second quarter, 37 seconds left, Jordan Chisholm gets his one-yard touchdown run. That made the score 35-7. The final score, 54-35. Uh, it really wasn't that close uh, when you really look at the entire game. Luke Lanin, 336 total yards, one passing, two rushing touchdowns. Ben Thorson, 22 for uh, 38, 235 yards, three passing touchdowns. And North Central declared battle-tested by Frank Rossi. We'll just move on from that. Uh, it is Co at Wartburg as our next game here. And nine seconds left in the first quarter, Jack Shaw gets this huge pick six to make it 7-0 Co. He'll rumble 87 yards, basically, to get that touchdown. And that it was an eyebrow raiser, but so is, you know, the score going to 14-0 midway through the second quarter. 7-17 left second quarter, Wartburg's John McConaughey gets a 25-yard touchdown pass from Niall McLaughlin to make it 14-7. So Wartburg trying to climb their way back into this game. And then just seconds later, it's Parker Rockford with a 37-yard pick six of his own. That would tie the game as he rumbles his 37 yards, 14 apiece. Just before halftime, though, Coe does not go away. Ray Seidel, one-yard touchdown run, 21-14 Coe. We'll fast forward to the fourth quarter. First play of it, it's Hunter Clawson. Turbo, three-yard touchdown run, 21 apiece. Fourth quarter, 9.27 left. Turbo, again, Hunter Clawson, nine-yard touchdown run, 27-21 Wartburg. Then we'll look at two chances that Coe had. Two and a half minutes left in the game, fourth and seven. And you'll see uh, Carter Mask uh, is incomplete. And so they uh, miss that, that opportunity. They'll get the ball back with one minute, uh, one and a half minutes left. It's Carter Mask, again, incomplete on fourth and 17. So Warburg's defense clamps, clamps down and wins this game 27-21. Co-led 21-14 at the half. Hunter Clawson, 21 rushes, 149 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Owen Grover, 
14 tackles for Wartburg. Might hear more about him a little bit later on here on our show. St. John's at Augsburg. You know, two Mayak games coming up here for you. This is the first. Halftime scores 14 to 6 St. John's. Third quarter, 9-12 left. Augsburg's Trey Lee gets a two-yard touchdown run. However, a two-point conversion failed for Augsburg here, so uh, it's 14 to 12 in favor of St. John's. Third quarter, 4:59 left. Dylan Wheeler for St. John's gets a 24-yard touchdown pass from Aaron Severson, making it 20 to 12 St. John's because they missed their extra point. Fourth quarter, 12-17 left. Tyrone Wilson, seven-yard touchdown pass. Cade Sheehan throwing it there. And uh, the two-point conversion pass intercepted. So nobody can get their conversions here. 20-18, Augsburg still trailing in this game. Fourth quarter, 10-11 left. It's St. John's Mendez Marcelio, a 47-yard touchdown pass from Aaron Severson. Gives them the lead uh, at 27-18. They get their extra point, thankfully there. Fourth quarter, 3.39 left. Augsburg's Tyreek Javants, a 13-yard pass from Cade Sheehan. So 27-24, extra point, no good. Uh, so Augsburg with a chance here on the onside kick. It is not to be for them. St. John's runs out the clock. But my goodness, JV, 27-24, St. John's win the game. They probably should have won by two to three touchdowns. They win by three. August, Augsburg's defense. Uh, holds St. John's at 31 rushing yards. Aaron Searson, 25 for 37, 367 yards, three passing touchdowns. Kate Sheehan for uh, Augsburg, 23 for 35, 214 yards, three passing touchdowns. Finally, Carlton at Concordia Moorhead. Midway in the third quarter is 21-14 Concordia Moorhead. Third quarter, 318 left. Carlton's Nathan Streif gets a nine-yard touchdown pass from Jack Curtis to tie the game at 21 apiece. About two and a half minutes later, Ben Blancas, a 13-yard touchdown pass from Cooper Matter, gets it to 28-21 to in favor of Concordia Moorhead. We'll go fourth quarter, 11-19 left. Xavier Carroll gets a one-yard touchdown run, 35-21 Concordia Moorhead. Fourth quarter, 7-01 left. Carlton's Nathan Streep again, a 27-yard touchdown pass from Jack Curtis, makes it 35-28. And then Carlton with the ball back, 20 seconds left. Nathan Street, an eight-yard touchdown pass from Jack Curtis. They go for two, and here is the uh, pass play. Nick Tools' pass attempt to Ryan Stores is good, 36-35 after that 15-play touchdown drive. And we'll go to the end of the game. Cooper Mattern's pass is complete to Owen Miller, and an illegal four pass is called ultimately on this play. That would pretty much end the game, 36-35 in favor of Carlton. Jack Curtis, 414 total yards, five passing touchdowns and an interception. Cooper Matter for Concordia Moorhead, 349 total yards, three passing, one rushing touchdowns and an interception. JB, that's regions four through six for me, but you've got a lot more where that came from. Yeah, we almost have uh, two more slides worth of scores to run through, so I'll try to do this as quickly as possible. The, um, the top five or 10 teams in the nation, when you look at Mount Union, Whitewater, River Falls, Linfield, they all won uh, pretty convincingly that, that Whitewater game. Um, we can talk a little bit more in the future, but that was an impressive 37-21 victory over Oshkosh. Uh, Lacrosse almost <laughs> gave up a, a pretty big lead to Stout, but they hung on to win 45-40. to John Carroll, Aurora, and Alma all win pretty convincingly to round out the top 25 scores. Olivet gets a win over Region 1's Alfred State. DePaul and Wabash get wins, sort of keeping them on track for that big uh, Mon and Bell and potentially a conference championship game at the end of the season. 
Kenyon and Albion also scoring over 40 points in their wins as and Crown takes down Westminster, Missouri 25 to 17. On the on the next slide we've got this is these are all these close games I was telling you about Frank. So um, Minnesota Morris with a big win in the UMAC 24 to 10, but we had Capital winning by four, uh, Franklin winning by a touchdown, Defiance beating Hanover. We also found out earlier this week, Frank, that Defiance has taken off for the NA. IA, did I say that right again? I don't know. Um, so that, you know, we'll, we'll have to talk more about that in the future. Elsewhere, Heidelberg hangs on for a close call, 20 to 17 against Muskingum. Wittenberg needs overtime to take down Denison, 27 to 24. Scholastica beats Manchester, 17, uh, 23 to 17. St. Norbert wins by a field goal, 24 21 over Lakeland. Um, elsewhere, Cornell and Ripon, another field goal game, 36 to 33. Uh, Carroll drops a close call to Augustana, who's still, you know, doing pretty well there in the CCIW. I'm sticking with the with the Vikings as sort of a potential Isthmus Bowl pick. Frank, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Carthage 27-20 over Elmhurst, and um, Illinois College wins 20-17 over Monmouth, and then. Uh, Eau Claire and Stevens Point, another touchdown game, 24 to 17. Lewis and Clark um, in the in the red eye games, Frank beats George Fox for the first time in double overtime, 37 to 31. And Cal Lutheran edges Chapman there in Southern California, 24-21. Lots of scores happening. North Northwestern had a, a, a big win over Mountain Luther in their conference, and just uh, man, lots of stuff happening in regions four through six. Almost too much to go through. <laughs> Yeah, quite a bit for sure. And uh, that is crunch time for week number five of the 2023 Division Three college football season. Well, JB, I don't know how you picked your MVPs this week because there were a lot of performances uh, to uh, kind of pour yeah. through here across the board, across the country. And uh I think we just talked about one of the players uh, at the end of uh, my spiel on Crunch Time, uh, Jack Curtis. Uh, you had a, quite a day mm -hmm. for Carlton, and why don't you tell folks about why you picked them? Yeah, well, I mean, Carlton, here they are, you know, very quietly, and one of the the 24 playoff eligible teams, it's still undefeated, and a lot had to do with uh, the comeback that he led, um, five touchdowns, over 400 yards of total offense, uh, just an impressive showing. I mean, there were lots of great statistical passing and, and touchdown performances over the weekend, but this one felt like this was a game that could have slipped away from Carlton, and, um, you know, through Curtis's and his teammates' efforts, they were able to uh, stay 5-0, and so... So only a sophomore, too, Frank. Uh, so the MIAC is kind of on notice for at least in a couple of years. Uh, Carlton's Jack Curtis got my offensive MVP award. Defensively, um, Owen Grover had a key stop in that 27-21 win. It was one of those games where the Knights uh, were struggling a little bit, and when they look back on their season, uh, that tackle for a loss or that you know play, big play on third down could be the difference between them being undefeated or not. So uh, great performance by Owen Grover, one of the best linebackers out there in the country. And then 
I said to save the best for last, Frank. My man, Tyler Huddle, in the huddle, um, Tyler from Trinity. Uh, you know, it was funny because I was on the Trinity sideline for most of the game because the, the sun was was behind us. And as you told me, you got to make sure you get your phone, um, you know, with the sun behind you. And so I'd be chatting with him every once in a while when I was kind of on the, um, you know, far side. If you were looking at the at the video, I guess it would have been the, the left-hand end zone. And, um, you know, chatting me up, a funny guy. Yeah, Wolfman Jack esque with the with the mullet and the whole thing, and we had a pretty fun interview after the game. And when I told him, you know, after I saw that 52 yard field goal that he kicked to tie it up, 37 37 in the fourth quarter, I said like, I'm gonna definitely interview you afterwards. And he was like, Yes, I finally made it. And uh, we had a fun conversation. Um, I actually had to hire his girlfriend to shoot the video. I'm, I'm not. I need to. You know, I don't have all the Frank Rossi accoutrements. So, um, you know, I was kind of roughing it there, but. What a, a performance, you know, three field goals, all the extra points. I think he totaled 14 points, um, which was almost, which was more than the margin of victory. It was a close game, and they needed those uh, in-the-huddle points um, to, to get the win at Barry. Uh, fantastic day of football. I'm really glad I made the trip. Definitely got more than my money's worth with all the back and forth and that, that crazy game. Um, I've got the, uh, you know, I got the Vikings, um, you know, gear over my shoulder here. They they couldn't have been nicer. I mean, it was hot as heck. You know, I was hiding under the shade of one of those large, um, uh, what are those things called? The where they they shoot the video from the end zone and they, the, it's like an uh, elevated the yeah the elevated platform. platform thing. I guess. So I'm like hiding behind there. It's so hot. And, and one of the uh, people from the sports department at, at Barry you know, brings me a Chick-fil-A sandwich, a cold water. I was like, oh, thank you. Because <laughs> it was just, it was we were roasting out there. Um, but what a fun time. And I'm, I'm really glad I got to catch that one in person. I uh, if, Before we uh, do anything else, we uh, do have to look at the fact that we both went 10 and 2 on the week. Uh, and so I still retain that very yep. thin two-game edge. I don't even know how I, I stuck uh, with my lead, but. Ultimately, we are uh, just nailing these games. This is crazy that we're uh, at 49 and 12, and it's 47 and 14 right now on this season. Again, we're not, not picking bad. cupcake games here, folks. Uh, we're picking some really good stuff. Um, yep. Let me talk about my uh, visits uh, this week before we get to viewer questions. Uh, and for me, uh, first, I have to send a shout out to the Sinus Chain Gang. I promised them I would. Uh, you know, quite often the way lighting works or you know uh, if there's too many people on the home side uh you know that you have to try to you know bustle your way through or whatever uh you'll go to the visitor's side it's just usually more convenient for what we do uh with uh, our video and whatnot uh so uh you get to hang out with the chain gang and uh, you get to see some odd bunches out there you sinus definitely had uh, some quality kids out there and uh, guys, uh, thanks for a fun night. Uh, when it came down to it, your team didn't win, but at least uh, they made a very good showing in the game after looking like they were going to get blown out. Uh, and as always, uh, thanks to the Bears fans uh, for their, uh, you know, uh, good times and, uh, you know, positive responses and thoughts that they gave uh, for our show. Uh, we appreciate that. And, of course, the Meals fans who we've caught up with multiple times throughout the last few years. Uh, North Central, Wheaton. Uh, I was lucky to get out of LaGuardia uh, because of everything that happened there the previous uh, day. Uh, but uh, Terminal B is uh, where I left out of, and it was very nice uh, compared to the last time I left out of Terminal B at LaGuardia. And all I can tell you, folks, is that uh, North Central is the real deal, no doubt. Uh, they, they, 
they read uh, and listen to our uh, shows and our different stuff uh, all over the place, uh, you know, on D3 football or on this show. And they knew what the score prediction was. I didn't hear the end of it. That's for sure. Uh, but uh, everybody was uh, all in good fun about it and, uh, you know, shook hands, took pictures with folks and uh, applauded uh, some of the uh, interesting comments uh, thrown in my direction. So needless to say, uh, it was a great weekend of travel for both JB and me. And uh, glad we could both get out on the road for some big games um, this coming weekend. It's going to be uh, RPI hosting Ithaca for me. I uh, got to stay close to home anyway. And that's one of the biggest games in the country, actually, when you look at the full yeah, list really of games. Uh, so uh, we'll be doing that. Uh, you'll be staying home. Uh, well, actually, you're not staying home even. You're going to be celebrating uh, your wife's uh, big 5-0. Yeah, we've got a lot of uh, we got a lot of birthday action happening in the Baker family. When we're recording this, it's actually my son's seventeenth birthday. So happy birthday to Walter Declan Baker! It's hard to believe I have a seventeen-year-old, a baby of the family. Um, he's almost as old as a college kid now, which is kind of crazy. But that's where I get all these gray hairs and all this other stuff coming from. But uh, yeah, up next, and then Phoenix, my oldest, is uh, turning 19 on Sunday. But yeah, we're going to New York to celebrate Jen's 50th birthday. Technically, it's not until the 11th. So I think with the next crunch time, we can do a, a whole, uh, you know, a, a Jen parade for that. But uh, we, we thought it would be fun to, to do a little weekend trip. Um, four of the five kids can, can make the trip, which is really exciting. Um, you know, three of them are already up in the Northeast, so that helps. Um, and we're looking forward to celebrating a nice weekend. Hopefully the, uh, the rain that's been going on up there for the last couple of weeks can get, can take a break. It's been raining down here in Florida nonstop for several weeks now too. Um, but we're looking forward to uh, a little fun in Manhattan and, um, some family time, which is uh, always appreciated. JB takes Manhattan. Wow. Let's go to the questions here as uh, we get toward the 50-minute mark here of the show. Uh, we, we had our call out on Twitter, and first we'll start with Dingo Talk at Dingo Talk. Uh, do you think uh, number 23, Grove City, runs the table? Uh, interesting question. Um, they should. Doesn't mean they will. You know, this is really an odd position to be in. And Coach Steve Donato talked to Pat Coleman about it in the Fast Five on the uh, – around the nation podcast this week. Uh, they've got to focus. They, they need to run the table if they want to host a playoff game. And that's still not even guaranteed, but they likely would host one game if they were able to run this table. I, I think they can and will. I think they will go 10-0, but would I be shocked if they uh, drop one at 9-1 because maybe they get caught snoozing a little bit and the team bites them? I wouldn't be shocked, but I think they should and will go 10-0, and 0, and then we'll see what happens with the season. What's your thought? Yeah, well, when you look at their schedule, I mean, they're at Geneva and at Allegheny, so the next two weeks is really when they're going to have to dig in a little bit and, and not get you know uh, caught asleep at the wheel here. That St. Vincent home game, though, on the 21st could be a tough one also. Um, and then, you know, they're – Rivalry game at Teal at uh, in week 11. I know that in, in you know in recent years Teal's been an automatic W for most teams, but all of a sudden they're winning games. So this slam dunk thing may or may not be um, the case. So Grove City is going to have to win three of their their final five games on the road, and you know that's always a little bit trickier. But for the most part, I feel like Grove City's proven um, that 
you know, they, they basically kind of won the pack. They ran the gauntlet. They just have to, you know, keep doing their thing, running the ball and, and playing, you know, turnover free offense, playing tough defense, and they should be good to go for the rest of the season. Yeah, we, we look at this margin of error of one game they could lose and still win the pack. And you don't want to give up that margin of error early. That's for sure. If you are going to drop one, drop it at the end of the season, not at the midpoint of the season, because then you're going to be kind of on uh, pins and needles about what happens from there and walking on HL. So if you want to use uh, that analogy, yeah. too. Does Utica crack the top 25? It's just a log jam, folks. And so you have to look at kind of their schedule this season and say they didn't play quality enough schedule to automatically insert themselves at 5-0 into there. Uh, but if they keep winning, yes, they will get there eventually. There's no doubt. I, I always do the rundown of who's undefeated when I'm looking at my ballot to see who to put in. But the problem is I'm not knocking teams out of my ballot because either a team like Barry outperforms uh, in a way that even with a loss, you have to respect them enough to realize they are a very good team and belong in there. Yeah. Or a Mary Harden Baylor who, who schedule themselves in a way that kind of creates this like bracketing effect inside the top 25 for them. Unless they lose another game, then they're out at that point. But uh, Utica, Union, others are all going to have a little bit of trouble getting there uh, until some other teams start losing games that, they shouldn't be losing in the uh, conference play. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch. I, I understand the question. I understand the complaints. But at the same time, there's only 25 spots in the top 25 with a lot of quality teams out there. Uh, is there any chance Whitewater passes Mount Union for the number two spot? Uh, you know, Mount Union better stop this. They've had two really bad halves this season in terms of offense. Mm. Uh, where basically they were 0-0 uh, against Ohio Northern for a, a grand majority of the first half on Saturday. And uh, they had the other game earlier in the season, too. So against Marietta, I bet they didn't uh, necessarily kick uh, very well in that game score-wise. So no. you're playing teams that you should be beating by three to four touchdowns, absolutely, uh, probably five to six, honestly. Uh and we're watching these performances. We watch the scoreboard, and it gives us an idea of how teams are doing or how they are compared to normal. Uh, Whitewater, uh, you know, after some inconsistency, looked very good, obviously, on Saturday. So I'm going to say to you, you know, with their uh, win versus Oshkosh, and it was pretty easy win over Oshkosh in the grand scheme of things, uh, that Whitewater probably doesn't jump in the Mount Union unless something weird happens in a Mount Union score. And Whitewater starts beating mm -hmm. teams in the we have like you know 30, 40 points that they're supposed to have close games against Lacrosse, Platteville, stuff like that. River Falls will be a huge game for them ultimately. If they can beat River Falls by 30, 40 points, maybe we reassess who's number two in the country at that point. Keith McMillan has Whitewater at number one. I, I don't agree with it uh, at this point because okay. how do you put them above North Central right now? How do you put them above mm, North Central? Yeah. Uh, we'll yeah, actually, I was going to, I was going to, yeah, I was going to throw this and I think cause well, I'll let, I think you've got another question coming up about North central, but I got one for you too, but I'll let you do, read off this next one. Rambo's carving knife. Who's at Pritz, uh, Pritzker, uh, Gunt, uh, asks, have you ever seen as dominant of a Russian game in person as a four headed Hydra NCC displayed in the low brass bell game? 
I mean, it was good, no doubt. I, and, you know, this is the problem. I, I've been at games with Ethan Greenfield. I've been at games with running backs, yeah. you know, for how many years that have been top-level running backs because I covered the stag ball in the playoffs uh, for uh, D3 football in this show. So it, it's great. Uh, and four-headed monster, sure. I mean, they were all very good running backs. I think, what, three of them had two touchdowns uh, ultimately each, and then uh, or at least uh, Luke Lane and two. I mean, there were touchdowns after touchdowns in that game going on there. But, um, yeah, it was it was a very good performance, no doubt, uh, and it's up there for sure. Um, I, you know, run-pass balance ultimately is going to be necessary as North Central goes through a playoff run uh, eventually. So we'd like to maybe see a, a little bit more passing uh, happening in that game. But it's not to say Luke Lane can't throw. He can. We know that. We've seen it over the years. So I, I'm going to say the jury's out on that. It was a very good performance. It was a dominant performance against a top 10 team at the time. Uh, and we'll see where it goes from here. Uh, the problem for North Central ultimately is kind of like Grove City, who's going to beat them? I mean, Augustina will try their best, but I, I just don't see it happening at this point after uh, seeing what I saw on Saturday. Overall, their next stop is the playoffs and probably not until week two of the playoffs for them to see a team that they're going to, you know, be able to be measured against per se. What's your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, given how um, tough Augustana played Wheaton, I have a feeling that the Vikings will probably be the best test that uh, North Central will face. But I think from a Division Three national perspective, seeing a win like that might be a little discouraging for folks out there. I mean, North Central looked so dominant. I mean, can anybody hang with these guys? I mean, Wheaton was supposed to be a top 10 team. Now, we saw that, you know, Oshkosh was beaten pretty handily by Whitewater. Does that mean that Wheaton's only nine-point win over Oshkosh a couple weeks ago doesn't look as good? Maybe we were sort of overrating Wheaton. I, I don't know, um, but at, you know, at the end of the day, they're still the defending champs, and they're going to be um, you know, the, the number one ranked team in the country for a long time. Going back to that quick Utica question that you had, Frank, they have a chance to prove it this weekend. They're going to play Cortland. Um, if you want to be ranked uh, and maybe get the respect you deserve, then, then, then beat the defending Empire 8 champs. Um, they've looked good in their five wins so far, um, although the Lyco game was kind of a, a little bit closer uh, than I think that they expected. But this is a great opportunity for the Pioneers to sort of prove themselves and to prove themselves to the voting uh, public, even with a loss, um, if they keep it close, that they're you know top 25 worthy. And let's go to the next question, uh, which is uh, from Joanne's uh, at Sanchez. Uh, what's going on with the NJAC? Antoine Cup doesn't want us to talk about this, but we will uh, still. <laughs> I, was just, I, I was taking a pause there uh, on you because I was actually doing the math uh, to figure out, let's see here, uh, the NJAC and out-of-conference games went um, to 7 and I think 15. Is that right? Uh, 5, uh, 9. That's yeah, what, yeah. I guess that's what yeah. happens when you pair up with the Centennial Conference. Well, and that's one big thing, and there's part of the answer. They picked, um, you know, the team up conference, as uh, JB saying, that you probably needed to reconsider if you were looking just for pure wins. But I'm going to tell you the answer to this question, and it's over my shoulder right now, and that's Wesley. And the fact that Wesley mm -hmm. is no longer 
in Van Jack or anywhere for that matter. Um, that team was the team that sort of elevated the competition inside that conference. And so yeah. after a couple of years and not having them, it's going to start having an effect on that conference as a whole. Uh, Salisbury is having a down year, we, clearly, uh, it, you know, compared to what we expect from them. Christopher Newport's a very good team. So more or less, I'm going to say to you, don't short or give short shrift to Christopher Newport. Uh, we, we've, we saw this coming to a certain degree that CNU with Dzerski, uh in here and everything else was going to be very good this year. But the, the conference as a whole is obviously struggling. Rowan is not the Rowan of 10 years ago or 20 years ago. It's kind of a little surprising that they haven't bounced back at a certain point here. And then Montclair, yeah. you know, with Giancola, you know, leaving uh, and whatnot, that obviously mm. doesn't help stability per se, but obviously their coaching staff is – uh, a lot of the same guys uh, from Gene Cola's time, yeah. and so they'll they'll straighten out that Absolutely. shift eventually. But you know, again, that. Wesley not being there, not giving them a standard of excellence, and giving them a lot of wins in the process uh, in out of conference games to look at, makes this conference look a little bit more down than probably they are. But they are definitely not the same NJAC monster that we used to see back when. In fact, I would say the Liberty League right now is greater than the NJAC, which, you know, 20 yeah. years ago, 15 years ago, that, that would have been like, what are you talking about, Rossi? There's no way. Well, right now, <laughs> yeah. I think we're there. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, obviously, in the interconference matchups, they they haven't fared as well. Uh, I think the departure of Wesley and maybe the dilution of talent in that sort of Jersey, mid-Atlantic area has um, hurt them these past few seasons. We've seen it in a variety of different ways. Um, and maybe it'll take some time, but um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's kind of where things are. But, uh, you know, when you pair up with a conference like the Centennial, which arguably is the best in Region 2, I mean, I know the Liberty League and, and some others might want to question that, but when you just sort of look at overall performance, even when if, you, if you factor in that... Um, Susquehanna, technically of the landmark, is the defending centennial champion from last year. I mean, they, they, that's a really that's a really solid conference right there. So it's going to be tough to get wins against those teams. Uh, end of the day, um, you know, we'll have to see how Christopher Newport does. They have an interesting matchup this weekend uh, against Dickinson, who had a big win, that kind of controversial win. It looks like that was one of those. It, it reminded me of the of the Utica Morrisville game from last year, where you know the clock expired and maybe the the last score really shouldn't have counted, but it did. You know, hey, but that's how it goes sometimes in, in D3. We don't have instant replay. We're not, you know, we're not on television and all that. But, you know, hey, that, that's how it shakes out sometimes. But the captains have a chance to, to get a, a signature win over a pretty good centennial team in Dickinson if, if they can this weekend. Yeah, this will be interesting to see for sure. Uh, and some interesting games, not necessarily the powerhouse games that we've been uh, growing accustomed to coming up in week six. More on that on Friday, obviously. Yep. Uh, but uh, a week five that makes you scratch your head in certain ways. Uh, you know, Union not playing fully to their potential, it feels like. Their defense is doing the lights out. Uh, so I'll give the defense yeah, yeah. credit to the offense. So not uh, ticking as well as I would have assumed at this point. Uh, Whitewater inconsistent at times, but taking care of Oshkosh for sure now, uh, which uh, we thought Oshkosh would show more in that game. 
uh, and Harden Simmons struggling against Harden, uh, Howard Payne, uh, Trini struggling against Barry Solani becoming the team that they are, uh, they've become. Teal saying, Grove City, not so yeah. fast. We're still out here. I mean, <laughs> we've got some interesting storylines playing out for the rest of the season. Yeah. And then a lot of conferences that, as we said at the top of the show, still jumbled up. And so we won't know much until probably about two or three weeks from now who's who and what's what in those conferences. What's your final thoughts here for our week five crunch time show? Well, I mean, I, I think we kind of covered week five pretty well, and maybe we'll get into it a little bit on Friday. I, you know, I've done a little homework behind the scenes on what I think are sort of the, the leading indicators um, going into the halfway mark of the season. There are some certain conferences in the, in the 28 Pool A automatic qualifier bid group where it seems like there's a pretty clear front runner. But there's still a handful that are very much up in the air and a couple that still have, you know, some big uh, sort of favorites versus number one contender games still to come. So nothing's really been decided just yet, but it'll be um, you know interesting this weekend. We don't have as many marquee matchups, but there are some big conference games still in each region, and we'll focus in on those and, and talk about them a little more on Friday. We'll probably talk about Freddy Freezer. Uh, anyway. <laughs> That's that's our show. And, I think uh, I think we, that I think to, Tony is gonna he's it's gonna be a dragon slayer theme, Frank. You, you know, I think there's gonna be like a knight with a plastic shield and a sword and something about dragon slaying. It's got a you know Ho, uh, Moose Hogan's gonna have his championship belt out and you know, looking for for dragon um, stakes or so, something like that. Is you gotta you gotta keep an eye on Big Tone to see what he what he does. Always entertaining in his previews each week. Yeah, Tony, remember podcast safe music uh, when you do those things, please, so that the copyright police don't come after us. Just just a reminder for folks that want to see their videos or hype videos and whatnot on our show, we have to be judicious about that because Facebook is very quick at picking up copyrights for whatever reason. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're getting right now anyway. So folks, we'll see you on Friday on our live show, uh, slightly earlier than normal on Friday morning because JB's got a trip to make. So uh, we'll uh, obviously uh, be on archive uh, right away after the show is done if you can't catch a live. We'll see you on Friday morning.